Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So in your world of Christmas, your awesome traditions, like what are your most favorite things that you do traditionally about Christmas? We've you know, explored a little bit in the last couple of weeks of different things and how people celebrate. Perhaps you're a family that gets up really early and you have that special breakfast and you have eggs and sausage and bacon and English muffins and pancakes and you have like this big, huge monster meal. And some are like, we don't do any of that. We get up and we are gone. We're in a car and we're driving and traveling. And some of you are like, we are homebodies. And we learned about the pajama Christmas thing, like getting your pajamas, never get out of Christmas. We just learned about that. We did it one year. It is super rad. <laughs> like, where's this been my whole life? Like, just stay in your PJs the entire day. And we have all these different traditions. And one of the things that happens at Christmas time is traveling, that traveling either to or from, which really messes up this whole pajama thing. Because the pajama thing, you know, you can do it, but it's really awkward when you stop at Quick Trip to, when you come out in your PJs. But we've been known to do it. Anyways, so this traveling thing. In traveling in the Christmas time, all across the globe, people are going to be traveling this Christmas season. And did you know that in 2018, according to AAA, more than 33% of Americans traveled by cars, trains, and airplanes for the holidays. 33%. That means one-third of you are going to be traveling to somewhere. And then think about it this way. That's 112.5 million people on the move to simply celebrate with people. And it, we, it's a big time. I mean, Christmas, we celebrate with family. We bring friends in. And then there's like multiple party. And you guys, you know who you are, the multiple party people. You have parties with your friends. You have party with your neighbors. You have parties with your extended family. You have parties with your tight family. And you have so many parties. By the time it comes to New Year's Eve, you're exhausted from all the partying. I know. Isn't life hard for us? <laughs> like, we just party, party, party. And we travel all over the place. Isn't it also this time of the year when these people who are coming to your house or you're going to their house you got to hang out with crazy Aunt Doris. Now, maybe you don't have a crazy Aunt Doris, but I'm willing to say someone in your family that you haven't seen for a while, you start hanging out with, kind of just kind of grinds you a little bit. Maybe it's your cousin. Maybe it's that crazy Aunt Doris. You know, maybe it's the fact that every time you sit down, immediately your uncle and your cousin start arguing about politics. Every, right? We, I mean, Merry Christmas, everybody, right? And so... You get into this, and all this traveling, all this, it's fun. We love being together in the family, but it becomes very stressful. It can be. And so by the time we're done with all this, we're exhausted. And all of this comes into the fact that when we are traveling and we're moving, we're giving up that comfort of where we come from. Like, it's fun to move. It's fun to stay in a hotel, but you just get tired sometimes. I just want my own bed. I want my own pillow. I want to just be able to relax, and I want crazy Aunt Doris out of my house. Just, it's just the way things are sometimes, right? And so when we look at Christmas time, there's a lot of different feelings that come into it because Christmas for some are really terrible time. 
We have all this celebration, but there's some of you in here right now that Christmas is the worst possible time of year, that all it brings is pain. You remember a lost one? You remember something broken? You remember something that happened to your family? And I just want to pause right now for all of you and say, I see you. As a pastor, I know that there's lots of fun going on and there's all this celebration, but this is a time of pain for you. And I'm glad that you're here because Mosaic is a place where we want to have authentic relationships. And I'm not skipping over the fact that Christmas is hard. Christmas is hard for me this year. This is the first Christmas I'll be celebrating without my grandmother. And it's been weird to think about that. My entire life, I've grown up with my grandmother in my life. I lived above her when I was a child. She's been at every celebration. This Christmas, I celebrate Jesus, but I have pain. And I know that there's more pain in this room. And I want you to know that it's okay to be here. We're glad that you're here. And this Christmas, you don't have to fake it. It's okay. Because that feeling of loss, that pain, we look towards a Savior who's going to save us from all this someday. That one day, this baby who's being born, we cry now, but then in eternity, we don't cry anymore. That all of this pain then turns into joy in heaven. And we're going to live through this life. But if this baby isn't born, we don't even have hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is this hope that we have in Jesus. Because there's something that we rarely think about. When we think of Jesus, away in the manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. Right? We all know the carol. And so we think of this little baby, and it's really weird because in that whole song, no crying he made, like, he was a baby. He cried. I just want to be clear about that. It's really bad. Like, humans cry, all right? And so he's in this scenario, and we see him. We put nativities out. And for those of us who are 80s kids, I talk about the 80s, 70s, 80s a lot. It's when I was born. It's just the best generation ever. Love it. Leave it. Whatever. So those plastic nativity sets where they would glow. You got glowing, like, blue coated Jesus with the glowing pink coated Mary and little baby Jesus. And if you had like real brats in your neighborhood, they'd steal baby Jesus, shame on them. And you'd have like this glowing nativity set. I always think about that at Christmas time. And when we think of the nativities, we see this beautiful baby laying perfectly in this manger. And we think, oh, it's just so precious because we have the new life. We're so excited about what Jesus is coming to do. But one of the things we never think about, have you ever thought that Jesus had to travel and leave his home for you? Have you ever thought that Jesus, before he even started the whole thing, gave up everything to become human for you? He left his father. He left the fact that he was at the beginning of creation with stars spinning in his hand, that everything's created through him. We find out in the book of John that this son of God is himself God. And he said, I'm going to put that all aside to become a human being. Now, Jesus is this beautiful balance of God and man at the same time. And what we find out is he willingly laid aside so that he could experience humanity with us, for us, and would die as a human and as God risen again. And he laid this all aside. It starts in a manger with a baby wrapped up in clothing, cloths. I mean, if you think it from this side, Maybe if we change our perspective of this babe in a manger, that we could maybe see Christmas through different lights. 
Because the babe in the manger, though exciting and fun and celebratory, there's some darkness here that I, I have to pause and just say, wow, Jesus, before the story began, you became us. You became a human. But to begin all this, I want to help show you through scriptures what I'm talking about. Psalm 93, 1 through 5. This is Jesus. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted you up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your face for endless days, O Lord. In this small passage, you start to see the majesty and strength and authority of this God. Jesus has all this greatness and all this authority. He has all this strength. He is a king that's seated on a throne. This throne lasts for all of eternity. Jesus stepped aside for a period of time to enter into our period of time to go back to that throne. And in that time, we see that this God, how great he is that even the oceans and creatures cry out to him, that the waves over and over and over cry out, that the waves never stop and they're relentless. If you've ever been to the ocean, in our world, Lake Michigan, right? And we just watch the waves come, relentless, one after another, after another, and they're relentless. And the power of the waves break down rocks. And the power of the waves start to create new grooves into things that are hard. And they start to create new things. The power of the waves as we see them, if you've ever been in the ocean, can be overtaking at times. If you've ever been in the ocean and you stood there in a wave and a wave came like, I've got this, and it takes out your knees and completely wipes you out, there's power in this water, in this wave. And the power here that we see behind this, that we as humans can't stop, simply lap and cry out to how great God is. Crying out, his own creation cries out to him over and over again. It says, the seas have lifted up their voice. I love this verse because when I'm in nature, I'm a nature guy, and I hear wind and I hear the birds and I hear the lapping of the water, I think, God, even your own creation cries out to you. Like, what language of worship is this out for you right now, God, that that which you have made is crying back out to you? Because with your hand you created, and so it just worships through the sound of the waves. And here in Psalms, that's what the psalmist is saying, that even the strength and their voice cry out. But then he moves on. The power of the sea breakers, that which is meant to stop, are uncontainable. There's nothing that can stop the greatness of the Lord or stop that in which he's created from worshiping. And so this God who we see in a manger, we see on a throne where everything in the universe is crying out to him. Do you? Like, do you cry out to him? Does your heart and does your soul and does your life cry out to him? Because the waves that which he's created cry out to him. That's how majestic this God is. But I want to move on to Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. Again, we see the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him were seraphs, each one with six wings. The two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That is some intense worship. That all around him, these creatures are flying, and they are calling out, and they're not worthy to look at him. They're not worthy to stand by him. They cry out, and they worship so much so that the whole threshold of this building is shaking. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's over and over and over again that this worship is ringing out and smoke is coming. This is an intense rock concert. <laughs> I could see like laser beams coming in, right? And there's like, you know, like Brad had that sweet guitar riff he was playing today. Like it's just ringing out like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They keep saying it over and over again. The whole earth is full of his glory. Who is this God? Who is this, man? Like, nothing like that's happening for us. So if you believe that you are somewhere near a step towards God, you don't have this. You don't have anybody calling out to you saying, you're holy, holy, holy. You do not have creatures calling out the greatness of who you are. You do not have waves lapping in your name calling out to you. But this God does. This picture of the Lord, we see him rightfully where he should be, on a throne. And the parallel between Psalm 93 and Isaiah 6, all this thing, it's unrelenting, powerful worship. Now, I'm not going to have a show of hands, but how powerful was your worship today? Not, not just in the song and the voice that you came out, but your heart. Because if you woke up like me this morning, you woke up a little bit grumpy and not really feeling it. Like, I just was like, I, I don't really want to do this today, you know? And there's some grinding that happens in life, and, you know, you get up, and it's cold outside, ugh. And we came here, I'm like, okay, this will be great. And I had this grumpy spirit inside of me. I'm like, God, why am I so grumpy? I should wake up, and if I am a worshiper of God, just call out to him first thing in the morning if I had the right perspective, but my perspective typically is wrong. And it takes time to warm me up. After my cup of coffee, Jesus, then we're cool, right? Not this. That's not who this God is. That's not what's happening when these people and these creatures and these creations are around God. He is so powerful. He is so revered that everything that surrounds him worships him day and night. Why don't we? Maybe it's our perspective. Maybe we don't see him as the God that he really is. Perhaps when we started putting Jesus as my homeboy on my t-shirts, we started to rethink this God a little bit. Like, Jesus is my buddy, and we're cool, and when I need someone to, like, help me out because I can't find my car keys, I got a prayer for you. Like, Jesus, hey, can you help me on this test? I didn't study last night, but, like, just, like, osmosis, give me the answers and give me an A. Like, what is our relationship to this God? Because when we look at it through this lens, we see a God that is so mighty, so amazing, so powerful that anything in its presence can do anything but worship. And I'm going to give you a fast forward. So will you. 
Because it tells us that every single creature is going to bow down before him, whether you like him or you don't, whether you believed in him or not, it says every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. That when all of his creation comes before this God of the universe, we will be broken. That's just the way it's going to be. Now, do you like that? I don't care. I didn't write the Bible. This is the fact. Because inside of us, in our humility, we start to say, well, I don't like that. I want to be in control. I want to I do what I want. I don't know if I want to sing songs to him. I don't know if I want to bow down and worship him. Okay, I can only tell you what the Bible says, and it says that you're going to whether you like it or not. Some of us will bow down and worship in great adoration. It says some will curse him to his face, but will still be on bended knee and say, you're God. That's how powerful this God is, how mighty and wonderful this God is. But now let's switch it. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to their firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there's no room for them in the inn. Are you kidding me? This is the God of the universe. This is the one that all the seas are singing out to. This is the one that all of his creation speaks about. And he goes from the perfection of God, everything that he sees, to a baby. The humility of becoming a human baby. That's a travesty. And then you go from this. You have the perfection of heaven. Think of everything that's around him. He laid down to come to be, have to be taken care of by Mary and Joseph. That's a lot of trust. I've seen some of your parenting skills. There's a lot of trust there. I know my own parenting skills. Jesus was not born in our family. We do our best. But man, we're human. And now Jesus, this beautiful, amazing worship God, is the king of everything, is now wrapped up in cloths, placed in a place with a bunch of animals. It's not even a nice women's pavilion hospital. It's a place of lowly stature. He gave up everything to become the least among us. Now we take this perspective, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself, look at the word, nothing. Nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant. These are important words. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he, here's the word again, humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. I'm going to keep compare and contrast for you all morning long. This God came as a babe. This babe did not come and become this huge rock star, mega king, that he had all the power and he had all the jewels. He didn't come in with the waves worshiping the way that they should and have all these creatures surrounding him all the time, worshiping him nonstop. He came as a babe and he laid that down. 
unbelievable when you start to think of it that way. In this passage, becoming human and emptying himself, there's a Greek word for this called kenosis. For all of you Greek scholars out there, kenosis, this idea of that Jesus willingly laid down on his own behalf to become human. And what it means, I love uh, how this is said here by Don Stewart. He explains it really well when he wrote this, that Jesus emptied himself in three different ways. First, he voluntarily accepted the limitations of being a human being. On his own accord, he said, okay, I will have the limitations of a human. So here we are, Jesus. He ate, he slept, he wept, he was happy, he was sad. We see him crying, we see him celebrating. He went to parties, he went to the place of mourning. He was in his father's synagogue. He worshiped his father. And one of the two most important things to him, when we read through all those red letters, he was really, really serious about prayer to his father and really, really serious about lost, broken, messed up, hurting people. And those two things, as Jesus came as a human, and he was just human. But at the same time, he's 100% still God. So he voluntarily laid that down to say, I will hold the limitations of a human. Secondly, his glory was veiled from people. He allowed his glory to be veiled. Now we see when he goes to the Mount of Transfiguration, if you ever heard of that passage before in Matthew, he goes up. And then all of a sudden, his, his face shone, and they're like, whoa, what is this? And his glory's open just for a brief moment on earth. But Jesus veiled his glory because if he would have shown it, we would not have made it. The glory of God, every time you look in scriptures that when his glory is seen, men either die or they fall face down and they just can't even move out of complete fear, reverence of this amazing God. The God that we see when his glory is revealed shakes the entire building and this is who this God is. So he can't come and like, here I am, like it would blow us away and everyone just would die. So he said, okay, okay, I'm going to come as a human. I'm going to put this aside. I'm going to put my glory aside right now. I'm going to come as a man. And finally, he gave up his use of his relative attributes, all-knowing, all-powerful. He put those aside to say, okay, Father, I need you. And he modeled for us what it means to be human in relationship to God himself. And guess what he did all the time? Prayed. Going to my father. I'm going to ask my father. I'm going to go away to speak to my father. And I love this part about Jesus is that when he's around us for so long, there's only so much that he can handle being around us as humans. He's like, I need to go to my father. And he would leave and he would go and spend time alone with his dad and pray. And the spirit of God is indwelling him in all these things that are happening because he's God and man at the same time. But take a perspective of this. This is the one who 30-some years plus before that moment was seated on a throne, being worshipped by everything he had made. Jesus did something unbelievable. And all begins when he started in a stable. He started in a manger. One perspective as humans is that you believe that you are the greatest thing he's ever created. And he did make us, and he said, we're good. And there's something unique about humans from the rest of creation. In the beginning, God starts creating. He's like, it's good, it's good, it's good. He's creating all these things, and then he creates humans. And we see in the scriptures he does something different than everything else. He breathes into us. And there's, we are called sons and daughters of God. Nothing else is called that. 
We're given this amazing relationship with our creator that we are in his family, different from everything else he created. And so as we start this relationship, we're like, okay, well, I'm a sons and daughter of God. But what happened over time is that we as humans start to believe, I'm not only a son and daughter of God, I am God. I'm greater than he is. I'm on equal status with him. God doesn't really care about us. I'm out here doing my own thing. I'm the greatest good that there could be. Now, if you get into philosophy or if you're studying anything sociologically, our entire culture and Western culture is moving into this way of thinking. You've heard of relativism perhaps in the past, which means that everything, your truth is your own truth. And whatever you believe to be true is good for you. Whatever I believe is good for me. There's a big problem with that. Some things are true or it's not. Someone's right, someone's wrong. Doesn't make sense. That's a different sermon. But we as humans are moving into this idea that we ourselves are now creator gods. As we move into this idea of AI, artificial intelligence, and us creating life, and us being able to recreate and build things, and we're starting to take human cells and start to replicate and make things like, hey, we are gods. And we in and of ourselves are independent from everything else. And let me just share with you really quickly, once again, there's nobody flying over your heads right now worshiping you. It's not true. We are a creation of God that he decided to say, I'm going to give you something that I'm going to give nothing else. We're going to have this relationship together. And this God of the universe and this perspective changes everything because if we believe that we are gods, we remove Jesus from his throne, we put ourselves in it, and that is not good. Because you may be really awesome, but you are not God. And you may do wonderful things, but you're not God. He alone is God. He alone was made, has made us for his glory. So our purpose as we come into this is for his glory. He then steps down even a level lower. It says in Philippians that he dies. He's a humble servant. He doesn't come as a powerful king. He comes as a human servant and then dies on a cross. The cross is a place of criminals. The cross is a mockery. This God of the universe was stripped naked, beaten, whipped, taken all this abuse for us. He's hung on a thief's cross next to thieves, next to criminals. He dies this death. At any time, at any moment, if he wanted to, he is still God. Snap, I'm done. I'm done. I, I'm done. But he does not. He stays. So the, the amazing piece for me in my spiritual life, and take this for what it's worth, Jesus, how did you come as a baby and give up everything? And Jesus, how did you stay on that cross? There's one word we see in scriptures. is love. Love drove everything. That God so loved the world that he gave his son. Love was the answer to everything. Now, why does he love us? I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've thought about it. I've sat under some of the coolest, greatest book writing theologians, and I sat there, and, and they have lots of ideas, and I just said, you know, I have, I have no clue. I have no clue. I wouldn't love you. There's no way. I would smite all of you. Smite, 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 smite. I'd be done with you. I definitely am done with me, obviously. 
But the glory of this God loves so much that he puts up with all of our nonsense, with the fact that we won't even worship him, that we're grumpy in the morning, that we say, oh, God, I'm going to give you maybe just a little bit of my time, but I'm super busy because it's soccer season. All these things that we start to do in our lives, right? And we say, God, you're an afterthought. You're not a forethought. God, I give you a little bit. I don't give you a lot. All of these things. He's like, I'm so madly in love with you. I want you to be in my kingdom with me. And it all started with this God who gave up everything to be inside of this wrapped up with all these smelly animals, manger. The God of the universe gave up a lot. And I think we're never going to really understand what it meant for him to give up his glory to the day you see him in his glory. And we see what it's like for a God to come here. I don't know what heaven's like. We have a couple of verses. We see some things. We dream pictures. We write songs about it. We write books. But I, this is what I do know about God. It's going to be more amazing than we can ever imagine. And if this God of the universe is willing to give that all up for us, there's only one thing I can come to. He really loves us. Listen to this song that many of you know but in the perspective of what we just talked about, I want you to hear the verses of this very famous Christmas song. Think about the ideas and the words as we start to process this together. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? The child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And that when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb and the sleeping child you're holding is the great I am? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.